0: Welcome to Brad Kyle's Brad's Motor Works Podcast, where we'll be talking about some things about BMW, some things of cars in general, and some things about car repair. I hope you find it educational, enlightening, and I hope it increases your understanding of your car. And maybe along the way we'll have some fun too. Thank you for listening, and here we go. Episode number 160, The Repair and Driving Life of My Own Car. Uh, This one came from as an idea from one of my customers. And and thank you up front, uh, Benjamin Lemke. I appreciate it. Uh, Hadn't really thought about, you know, necessarily doing a podcast about my own car and, you know, uh, (laughs) talk about myself or whatever. But, uh, you know, he was curious, like, you know, what do I do as far as maintenance and what problems have I had with it and what things have I done with it necessarily. So I thought, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll put something together for that. So here we are. Uh, a couple quick commercials uh, up front. Um, if you want to get a hold of me via email, which is how he did, it's bkpodcast5 at gmail.com. I'm also available on LinkedIn under Brad Kyle's uh, motorworks Works. And uh, if you want to check out the podcast directly from the distributor of it, that would be podbean.com. Uh, go to that page and then do a search for Brad Kyle's Motorworks Podcast. Uh, if you check out, you know, there's obviously a main page and stuff up a right hand corner of that main page. There's a link that says become a patron. And if you want to, you know, donate or subscribe to the uh, to the podcast, I'd appreciate it. Kind of help out offset the cost of it and training and uh, uh, ongoing, uh, you know, technical stuff and all that, that kind of stuff. Uh, the advantage for you. I'm, I'm asking for five dollars a month. You can do less. You can do more. Uh, you don't have to necessarily, you know, uh, subscribe every month. Um, it it's you can it can be ongoing or just do it one time it's up to you um, one thing i will say is that i've taken about twelve to fifteen of the previous podcasts that are only available uh... once you pay that subscription and obviously you can download them and save them and the reason i picked those about twelve to fifteen of them is that if you apply the information uh... in those podcasts i know there's no doubt in my mind you could save thousands if not maybe even tens of thousands of dollars over the life of the uh, your your automotive driver driving life so to speak and owner, car ownership life um you know I talk about a number of different things that I have certainly seen where people if they had known the information up front uh they would have made different decisions so uh you know something to think about so uh you know appreciate you checking into that if you would so anyway uh my car okay well first off I only have one uh, that's enough <laughs> Uh, I'm not, you know, there are definitely technicians and or shop owners out there that have multiple cars. Uh, sometimes they will buy one that's, you know, got a blown engine or something from a customer and figure, well, when we're slow, it gives the, the technician something to do as far as rebuilding it, repairing it, whatever the case may be. And then maybe ultimately the shop owner decides to keep it or, or, uh, you know, maybe use it as a loaner car or eventually sell it. Uh, i 'm just not that kind of a person, so to speak um, you know again i 'm being a one man shop uh, I kind of st- tend to stay busy anyway it doesn 't take a lot of cars to keep me busy and frankly i just it 's kind of like uh you know in the old days, you had the verbiage of or the uh the saying of that you know that the, the shoemaker 's kids have the worst shoes in town uh a lot of people I think think that, uh, you know, buying or own, uh, getting a a, a, a a past technicians or shop owners car that, wow, this would be really good. They probably took care of it really well. Well, not necessarily. Uh, it's kind of the old thing of, you know, what's the last thing you want to do at the end of the day? Well, what you've been doing all day long as far as work-wise. And so, believe it or not, technicians' cars can be uh, sometimes not in very good shape. Uh whether it's be it's an expense situation or like i say at the end of the day it's like okay now i have finally have time to work on my own car and no i just don't feel like doing it so but in any case i certainly try to maintain my car uh, my car is a 2002 bmw 530i manual transmission uh, i i wanted it that way i only have a four and a half mile commute so it's not like i'm stuck on freeway traffic you know bumper-to-bumper L.A. type freeway traffic because if that was the case and I was doing that every day, I I would not want to have a manual transmission car. So the only time I really have to to drive in that scenario is if I'm going to some, you know, seminar or something like that down in L.A. So uh, again, four and a half mile commute. And manual transmission cars, you know, from a maintenance and or reliability standpoint are certainly a lot better than automatics, in my opinion. Uh, yes, I've had to replace the clutch on it once, but, uh, in any case, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. So, um, I purchased it in, uh, 2005. So it was three years old. It had just over 51,000 miles on it. So it was just out of warranty by mileage, not by time. I bought it from a used car dealership, uh, down in LA, the LA area. Okay. It was about, oh, I don't know, 65, 70 miles away from me and it took me because it's a manual transmission car and there are not that many of them out there uh, it took me about five or six months of you know internet searching to find an actual manual transmission car uh... there's again there's not very many of them out there but to me from the driving experience i'd much rather be in a manual than an automatic okay not to say that automatics are bad and certainly as time has marched on uh... i mean now we have you know eight Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a point where we're going to have 9 or 10 speed automatics. And they're getting to where they're shifting uh, almost. I mean, there's lots of things you can do with them. Um, You know, you can drive them in a sport mode or you can manually shift it yourself. So they are becoming, you know, certainly more uh, driver enthusiast friendly. And the idea that you're uh, potentially have six, seven, eight forward speeds available to you certainly helps to keep the engine and the power band, as they say. So th- there is cer- certainly something to be said about it. But uh, it currently has about 172,000 plus miles on it. Uh, again, obviously, I've owned it, you know, at this point for 17 years. Uh, I put, oh, uh, maybe eight to 10,000 miles a year on it. Probably closer to eight really, um, so it would be considered kind of low mileage as far as the usage that I put on it but i do have i have fun I have fun with it you know um as far as maintenance maintenance wise, I definitely am very religious and this is something I've talked about in you know previous podcasts, and uh, certainly I'm talking to people about it on a day to day basis at the shop. Uh, I definitely do recommend, regardless of what BMW says, and this of course is assuming that you're using the right oil in whatever model of car you have, be it BMW or otherwise, uh, I do recommend oil changes at 5,000 mile intervals. Okay, uh, it, Long term, it's definitely it's an investment. You're making an investment that will pay dividends in regards to the life of the engine and everything that's inside of it. Okay uh... i won't go into great detail because i have another podcast but the bottom line is is that you know in today's world chemically oils will last a lot longer than what they used to okay which is a good thing and of course obviously we're talking about the right synthetic oil for whatever the given application is um, But uh, you know it used to be years ago the thing that went away first was the additive package in other words the chemicals that were put into regular oil to you know make it work better okay Um, nowadays with the proper good quality synthetics uh, they actually don't have to put as much of an additive package in there and the technology of it is just far greater than what it used to be what they don't talk about with these extended oil change intervals is you know what what really wears the engine out long term is is contamination so we're talking about microscopic dirt okay which gets in through the air filter so uh, it, in some respects, it doesn't really matter what oil you have in there. The longer you leave it in, the more these this microscopic dirt contamination builds up and causes more wear on the engine. So for me, I, I tend to keep things obviously. Since I've had the car for 17 years so far, I keep things for a long, long time. Okay, so I take care of them. And one of those, one of the criteria of that is oil and filter changes every 5,000 miles the other thing I do which is definitely again uh, before what BMW says to do I change the engine air filter at 15,000 um, BMW says the spark plugs, specifically on my car will last a hundred thousand I do them at 60,000 uh, the other thing I do is at 60,000 uh, even though it's supposed to be a lifetime fill fluid for both the manual transmission and the differential I change those fluids out as well at 60,000 mile intervals Okay, and I also do the fuel filter at 60,000 miles. Now, mine because it's an older car, being an O2, the fuel filter slash prep- pressure regulator is on the outside of the tank, so it's relatively easy to get to. Okay, newer cars, that's all inside the tank, so it's a lot harder to get to it. And the other thing is, is that mine, even though they consider it a returnless fuel system, it's still actually pumping more fuel than the engine needs up through the fuel filter. It returns directly after the fuel filter. So whereas on a late model car, BMW specifically we're talking about, it's a true returnless system. So the fuel that comes out of the tank that's being fed towards the front of the car to the engine is the amount of fuel the engine needs right at that moment. OK, there's no fuel returning to the tank. So from that standpoint, you, you can get away with, uh, you know, now that they have the fuel filter in the tank and they're doing that because they're trying to reduce any kind of a leak potential leakage point. OK, um, then it's not as critical, critical to replace the fuel filter. I'm not saying that it's not going to get dirty. It will. It depends on the quality of the fuel that you're getting. But um, it's certainly less likely because over the life of the filter, it's not, you know, refiltering and refiltering the same fuel over and over again as the fuel leaves the tank, goes up through the fuel filter, and then some of it gets returned, okay? That's what my style is. So, you know, again, I I do the fuel filter at 60,000 mile intervals, okay? Um, I did the almost the entire cooling system as far as radiator, water pump, thermostat, Upper and lower radiator hoses, uh, a new reservoir, new radiator cap. Uh, if I didn't mention the thermostat, the thermostat, um, and I think the recovery hose. I did those all preventatively at just over 100,000 miles. One of the reasons I did it is because, and, and realize I, again, I obviously I don't drive this car real far. I have taken it on a few trips. Uh, I've gone up from, I live in southern california basically and i've driven up to monterey to the peninsula there probably about oh eight to ten times in that car over the last seventeen years uh... one of the trips was to actually drive the car on uh... at the raceway at laguna seca which i'll talk about in a moment here that's that's another story uh... but i will cover that here quickly in a moment Um, a lot of it was to... I had a cousin who lived up there. He was into motorcycles. We would go up for when there was uh, AMA Street motorcycle races at Laguna Seca. Uh, so we went as spectators. Uh, he had his own shop up there where he rebuilt uh, or built up race engines and things like that. So we would stay with him and always had a great time. Um, and I, I did some parade laps, you know, on in the car, in, in, in the 530i. Um, but so that was some of the trips the other one that and this is why i replaced a lot of the cooling system at just over a hundred thousand was we took one trip where there was four of us going to las vegas and so i couldn't justify paying for four you know airline tickets when we could just all hop in the car and off we go but because it had a hundred thousand miles on it and the only thing i think i had done with that car prior was i think i had to replace a water pump before a hundred thousand everything else was original and, you know, anyone that's been around these cars for a while knows that between somewhere between 60 and 120,000 miles, uh, different things are going to start wearing out and going bad in the cooling system. So since I had already done, I think it was either the water pump or maybe the uh, expansion tank I ahead, you know, beforehand because it had gone bad, um, I went ahead and did everything else uh, pre-trip, which was not cheap, obviously, even with me doing the work. Um, But it was one of the few times where I literally did something, you know, preventatively up front. Okay. So that is something that, you know, for people to think about that. I mean, when people come in, I'll have customers come in and they'll go, hey, Brad, we're going to go on this trip. Can you please check it over and, and, you know, let me know about anything. And so when I hear that, my, you know, sort of my antennae go up, so to speak. In other words, I'm just... Thinking a lot more about, okay, well, how many miles are on this car? If I have a file on it as far as previous work, I'm looking to see what's been done before. And obviously, I'm looking the car over visually to see, well, what do I see visually that might be a problem? And to the point of, you know, like I say, I mean, when I did those repairs, the cooling system repairs on my car, there was no visible problem, nothing, okay? But we were going to Las Vegas like in June, okay? Well, I don't want to be going across the desert with three other women and uh, (laughs) have a problem, okay? I mean, I'm not, I don't gamble. I'm not a gambling person. And so to me, it would be like, you know, every minute I'm driving that car, I'm wondering, you know, prior to actually doing these preventative repairs on it, it's like, you know, know, are we going to make it? Is it going to be okay? I mean, I wouldn't be able to be relaxed. I'd be kind of semi-paranoid probably the whole way. So I just said, well, screw it. I'm just going to spend the money and take care of it ahead of time. Uh, because the other option would have been if we weren't going on the trip, I would have just waited until the next thing went bad, okay, which again, obviously with a four and a half mile commute, the odds are that if something goes bad on me, I'm not going to be very far from home or the shop. So I would just, you know, take it in or have it towed in, whatever, and then, you know, do those repairs at that point because something has gone wrong anyway. Well. I basically threw away parts that had yes, a hundred thousand miles on them. So it's not like they were brand new, but I was throwing away parts that were still operating properly. But again, it was obviously a preventative kind of a thing. So, um, so yeah, that's something on cooling systems on BMWs. Um, you know, you're you're going to have probably some kind of a problem with it between sixty to one hundred twenty thousand miles, whatever that may be. Okay, so you know, keep that in mind if you're if you're planning on keeping your car and, and let's say the car is you know there's something wrong with the cooling system water pump goes bad whatever um, you know hopefully the shop may ask you about the idea of hey you know what are your plans for this car you may want to consider doing you know a b c d e f as well besides whatever the immediate problem is so And, of course, because it's an E39, uh, yes, I've had to do uh, several window regulators. I mean, they go bad on my car, too, just like they do on other people's, on yours or whatever, whatever you have. Unfortunately, with the later model cars, uh, window regulators have become a uh, a bit of a common problem. So I think I've actually had to do one or two doors um, a couple of times because, obviously, again, I keep the car. So uh they wear out and they go bad and you know there you go um i do put in i i'm very big on a product a brand name called bg they are a additive chemical company Uh, i put in their fuel additives into my car as well as customers cars occasionally i will put in their oil additive but i don't tend to be a big a big user of that because i change the oil so often okay uh, for people who want to just do what BMW says, which is like 12 or 15,000 miles between oil changes, uh, then I'm more apt to, you know, recommend a, a BG, what's called MOA, motor oil additive, ooh, and uh, you know, install that. But I definitely use their fuel additive. In this case, it's called 44K, and I usually put that in at about 30,000 mile intervals. I am very big, again, you know, obviously when I'm at the shop, the car's at the shop, uh, and so obviously it's convenient for me. But even if I'm taking a little trip down to L.A. or something, I will pull my car in a day or two ahead of time and just look it over, you know, check the tire pressures, look the car over. Obviously, again, I mean, yes, I have a lift. I can, you know, it's convenient, so to speak. uh, But that's not to stop somebody, even from they're just going to take a, you know, a, a short trip or whatever to you know look their car over Uh, especially if your normal usage is just around town and then all of a sudden you're gonna drive you know 100 or 150 miles in a day um, you know you may want to consider doing that you know again maybe it's just me Uh, I just kind of like to know that the tire pressures are okay and and so on so forth so um, I do you know I definitely do check the car over even for what would be considered a minor trip And certainly, if I'm going up, like, to Monterey or Vegas or something, then, yeah, I spend way more time looking it over. And, again, uh, depending upon the circumstances, uh, one of the times, I'll get into it now, that we went to Monterey and we were going to Laguna Seca, this was in 2013, I think, and my son and I, he took his own car, and I took mine, obviously, and they were doing the BMW Car Club of America, what's called Oktoberfest. And it was in Monterey. And, of course, the draw, they try to always pick a a city that has a racetrack relatively close because then they offer different events to do as club members at the track. Well, they were offering anywhere from a one to a four-day high-performance driving school in your own car. Okay. Well, yes, your car had to pass... Uh, an inspection well I say it was an inspection basically you were supposed to do it ahead of time which obviously I did and you know you fill out paperwork to show that you checked suspension and steering and stuff like that yes they wanted you to do a brake fluid change even if it had been done recently they wanted to see that you did it again you had to provide your own helmet that had to be Snell certified I actually had to go out and buy a helmet I did not have one Um, And they had ones available to either borrow or rent, but they they couldn't guarantee they'd have one for everybody. And if you don't have a helmet, you're not going out on the track, okay? So I thought, well, I guess I might as well go ahead and buy a helmet, which I did. And um, so that that was that. And my son had to buy a helmet, too, for himself. Um, But in any case, uh, we signed up for four days of high-performance driving school. Uh, we were got up there on a Sunday. There was some, obviously, club activity things, you know, Monday, Tuesday. And then from Wednesday through Saturday, we spent the entire day, uh, every day, at Laguna Seca. Uh, we got to do three driving sessions a day, three cra- classroom sessions a day, uh, obviously lunch and some break time. We We just had a ball. And I would encourage there was times years ago when i worked at the dealership where we got to do what they call ride and drive and this was through bmw uh... bmw would rent a track for the day or for a couple of days and typically it was when there was a new model introduction and so they were wanting people who wanted to go and again this was you know dealership personnel not the public um, you could go and and of course it was very structured you did you know you got to drive the car here you know do this do that So it it wasn't a driving school, but it was more of a driving experience kind of a thing. Uh, They would have other cars available that they were trying to, you know, kind of, hey, here's how this same uh, thing you're doing feels in a whatever, a Cadillac or a Toyota or Jaguar or Audi or Mercedes or whatever, okay? So that was all fun, and so I, I certainly had experience in doing that, but I'd never been able to have my own car on the track at speed for, you know, time after time after time. And I would encourage anyone, um, you know, it, it's, not, it's not a timed event. It's not a race, okay? It is a high-performance driving school. And, frankly, it's worth joining the club just to be able to do that, okay? Because, I mean, we the whole thing, for the entire week, again, like I say, the the first event was on Monday, last event was on Saturday. Okay, uh, and this was including. Uh, I don't think there was any breakfast. No, there was no breakfast, but this was including some kind of a lunch and some kind of a dinner, um, every day. Okay, uh, obviously the lunches were at the track, but I mean we got fed very well. And again, this was in 2013, so it was a long time ago. But that whole thing. Uh, You know, four days of driving school and extra events and meals and, uh, you know, just the the actual club thing itself cost us like just over $1,200. I mean, you can't, you can barely pay, you can't even pay $1,200 for four days of track time. It it ain't going to happen. Okay. Uh, It's because, you know, it was a national event. So to me, if you ever have, want to have the opportunity to drive your BMW or any car you have on a track, okay, you know, granted, this is a club event, so it's open to BMW owners, okay, but I'm sure unless you have a, you know, Ford Escort or something, whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, if you have some kind of econobox car, that's okay, nothing wrong with that. Um, but there's not going to be, you know, racetrack events pretty much for it, at least not normally. But if you do have some kind of a performance car, you know, BMW, Porsche, whatever the case may be, Mercedes, uh, whatever, um, you know, there's, there's going to be, uh, club events available and, or for that matter, I mean, they do sometimes put together stuff where you can just go and, and someone's, you know, a group of people have rented a track for the day. Okay. So you know it it is it 's not cheap, but when you- tar- start talking about that it 's a club event, and there 's all these people there i mean i don 't know there had to have been four or five hundred people i mean we the only time we saw each other get together all at once was typically like dinner time okay because we 'd be back at the host hotel you know in some big ballroom kind of a thing, having dinner, and of course, they brought in speakers and you know people to talk about different things and stuff like that but Getting back to the track thing, um, you know, there's nothing like having your car on a track under controlled conditions. The way BMW Club does it is you have an instructor with you in the car. Okay, you're both wearing helmets. You also both have on kind of a you know intercom system between the two of you, so no one has to yell and scream or anything. You can just talk normally because you've got a you know an ear an earpiece with a with a, a mic boom kind of a thing. And you can just talk normally to one another, but that person is there to help you learn how to drive your car at your speed. Okay, if you don't want to go real fast, fine, no problem. Okay, but the goal is is to try to is to be able to let you drive your car at your speed and learn more about the handling of it and how to do different things with your car. Um, And we just we had a great time. And so getting back to you know maintaining the car. Yes, before I went on that trip, I was, you know, very, I had I had to get new tires anyway. I got new tires. I made sure the brakes were good. You know, I really checked it over. And, you know, so we drive up to Monterey, and we're going through, I don't remember how many, well, it's about a two and a half mile track per lap. Um, I would say each session was probably around 12 to maybe 14 laps. There's three sessions a day. The thing that I didn't think about that was interesting is they recommended that you fill your tank up every morning before you get to the track. Now, they had a, a fuel, you know, uh, pump at the track, but of course, because it was at the track, uh, you you had to pay for that. I mean, it was some, some pretty good dollars, okay? So, the idea was is, you know, you leave the hotel, whatever, you know, fill your car up with your favorite gas, and then drive to the Uh, track, and that way you've got a whole tank worth of gas. The thing that I did not think about, you know, again, I was driving, you know, harder and harder every day. I wasn't, it's not a race, you're not racing anybody, Um, but, you know, I was pushing myself and pushing my car, and I didn't, what I didn't think about was, I mean, my car's got, I'm sure it's an 18-gallon tank. I would go through half the tank in a day, (laughs) Because why? Well, you're pushing it. I mean, you're you know there was many times I was floor boarding it or close to it, okay, almost full throttle. So I'd go through eight or nine gallons of fuel a day, you know, for four days straight. Hadn't figured that into the uh, thought process. It was just kind of funny the first day that happened. As a Matter of fact, I don't think I even noticed it till I was driving back from the track that night. And I think we were deciding, well, we're going to stop at the gas station, you know, before we went out for dinner or whatever. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm at a half a tank, you know, and it was full in the morning. So every day was like that. So, um, you know, obviously, when you're trying to, you know, go fast and you're feeding the fire, so to speak, uh, you're going to go through a pretty good amount of fuel. So but had a ball. Um, It was really great having my son there. He had his own car. He's got a 1990 325 IS that unfortunately we've got a uh, nothing happened on that trip or anything. He had a great time. Uh but eventually the cylinder head was is got an internal crack, so the car is parked right now, but that's another story. But uh we had a great time. So whether it's, you know, father son, uh mother daughter, whatever, uh boyfriend girlfriend, um it's a great thing to do. Um it's probably wouldn't be as good as if you were sharing a car because obviously you're only going to get half of the driving time but i would really i would really encourage anyone um because you're going to learn some things and there are other events there's there's a chimkana, uh there's like a, an autocross thing where it's you're doing a lot of turning in a very small space um for that matter you know clubs typically have like uh saturday events where you learn like evasive maneuvers and things like that so You could really, I mean, you you could learn some things that could potentially save your life in some kind of an accident or, you know, possible uh, situation. Um, I mean, I can remember years ago watching a videotape from BMW, and they said, you know, part of what performance and handling is is what's called active safety, okay? So if you have a car that that steers where you point it and and responds and, and isn't just some kind of a rolling easy chair kind of a thing, it's considered, performance and handling is considered active safety because the idea being is that it would be much better if you can brake or steer around an accident versus being involved in one, okay? Um, I mean, it's called accident avoidance instead of accident participation, okay? So, and part of that process is certainly if you can learn your car and learn what the car is capable of and ultimately what you're capable of, too, then you know if and when those kinds of situations come up uh you're going to be you're going to be prepared mentally and physically uh to what to do okay and all of a sudden you can avoid the accident instead of participate in it and while that's all happening as far as the learning process you're just you're just having lots of fun you really are so i would i would encourage anyone to you know to search that out really in some respects regardless of what car you have but um you know lots of fun and so you know getting back to my car specifically yes I prepared it for that I made sure everything was in good shape and uh, you know obviously I didn't want to have a breakdown and neither one of us did Uh, although my son actually on the last day on the second to last uh, driving stint uh, he broke a he had cast wheels on the car they were aftermarket wheels they were cast and he broke the spoke on a right front wheel so he was done. He had to put on his spare. Uh, and and a lot of the people that, that did like club racing and stuff, they were familiar with, they came over, you know, and they're going like, oh, yeah, those wheels are no good, man. Uh, those are the cast ones. And that, that's what happens. They break. And he's got it on his GoPro. You could hear it go, you know, it's like, what? And it made this horrible noise. And they were, if you know Laguna Seca, they were coming into turn two, and which is a, a double apex left-hander. And uh, the next two turns, three and four, are right-handers, and then turn five before you go up that hill is another left-hander. And so he's halfway through turn two. He hears this whack and this, you know, dot, 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 and then he straightens out, and it goes away. And they're going like, "What? What? What is that?" Well, of course, the next two turns were right-handers and no noise. And then he comes up to the turn five, and the thing starts doing the same thing. And his instructor says, "Okay, that's it." slow down, get to the right, put your arm out the window so people know to pass you and let's see if we can make it back to the pits, which they did. And they had broken a broken a spoke. It was a five-spoke cast wheels and he'd actually cracked right through a spoke uh on the right front wheel. So that was the only thing that happened that was uh kind of exciting. Um but we had a fantastic time. So like I say, I would I would encourage, you know, encourage you or anyone to Uh, you know take the time to whether it's again whether it's a one-day single event type thing maybe just evasive driving or whatever or an autocross just anything that allows you to to drive your car in a controlled situation where you wouldn't uh, in, in in where in other everything else daily driving you wouldn't be able to do that legally okay whether it be a speed issue or you know obviously there's going to be safety personnel around so if anything bad happens why you know they're 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 ready to go to help you so it's definitely a controlled situation to a point okay so i would really encourage people to do that so um that's really about it i mean i i use my car almost every day not every day but you know obviously for me i'm driving it short distances if you're listening to this and you're going, hey Brad, I, I I drive my commute's 100 miles a day. All it means is is that you're going through the life of your car and its parts quicker than I am. Okay, so that 5,000 miles, if you choose to do a 5,000 mile oil change, it's going to come up quicker and from a time standpoint than mine. Okay, uh, in some respects, uh, assuming you're not stuck in you know stop and go traffic for hours on end if you're driving at speed, you're, you're actually, the use on your car is actually better than what I do. Because again, a four and a half mile commute, uh, the coolant is up to temperature, but you could be pretty well rest assured the engine oil isn't, and certainly not the transmission or differential fluids. There's no, they are nowhere near up to normal operating temperature. So, which that can have, can have detrimental effects long term to whatever the component is that those fluids are lubricating. So that's another reason why I do the fluid changes more often than what BMW says to is because of the type of usage that I do. So uh, I think that's about it. Um, Just, you know, take care of your car. It's an investment. Um, They're not cheap. And obviously right now in today's world, because as we're, you know, coming out of COVID and everything, but obviously because of supply chain issues at the moment anyway, uh, new cars are hardly available, which means the ones that are available are super high price. The used car market's gone up uh, I can't tell you that years ago, for a lot of years the the age of the average car was about five to seven years old. I was just reading an article the other day now it's up to eleven to twelve years, okay So the average age of a car in the in the United States is eleven to twelve years old, so people are keeping their cars longer. And uh, hopefully they they are taking care of them, you know. So uh, that's the best thing you can do to your car is to have it, you know, maintained, uh, have things fixed before they get to be a big problem, and, uh, you know, go from there. Uh, Hopefully you find a good repair shop that's close to you. I've put out, I don't have it in front of me, but I've put out a couple of podcasts in the past. It was one of my earlier ones about how to pick a great repair shop okay there's questions that you should ask and you know you may even want to go in and almost interview them I mean uh, I I don't take that I I wouldn't take looking for a car repair shop for your car lightly from the standpoint I mean assuming you care about your car and you're looking for good value you know as far as in the repair process and how the people treat you Um, you know take the time to to find someone that you uh, you know trust And that you like going in as much as a person might like spending money on their car to get it repaired. But you know, you got to think about what is that, what does that car do for you in your life? And then consider what if you didn't have it? And then try to live your life. You know, I realize there's certainly people that are listening to this that, you know, public transportation is readily available and there's lots of people that don't even have to own a car at all. Okay. Well, great. Okay. But you know, Southern California is, yes, there's public transportation, but uh, it certainly is not as good as some places in this country. And, um, uh, you know, certainly Southern California, we have millions of cars out here. So, anyway, that's about it. I hope you got something out of it and enjoyed it. Again, if you want to get a hold of me via email, it's bkpodcast5 at com. Uh, and again, I'm on LinkedIn and, uh, check out the website if you want to on podbean.com, Brad Kyle's motorworks podcast. And, uh, we go from there. Uh, again, I, I hope you got something out of it and, um, hope you have a fantastic day and a great tomorrow. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode. It's been an honor and a privilege to spend time with you. I hope you found this of value. Please share it with family and friends. Above all else, with all you're getting, get understanding. May God bless you and keep you, and thank you again.